and welcome to Mark Bites, episode 68. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Thomas. In this episode, rubber ducks, revenge of the rampant koi and mutating microphones. But before all that, we have feedback. Carrie sent us a hack from Steve, who is Wizard Prang on Twitter. And it was a hack, it was a terminal hack. So that freaked some people out. But it was a terminal hack to restore save as on Lion. Because I'm liking that. I was sure we'd mentioned that Save As is back on Mountain Lion. But apparently I was reliably informed at the Map Bites Learning event that we didn't. What were we thinking? But yes, Save As is back in Mountain Lion. I was convinced we'd mentioned it. Do you recall? I'm sure we mentioned it. Mm, well, maybe we did, maybe we didn't. I really can't remember. But it's back. It's back on a very strange shortcut key, which for any Adobe users, particularly Photoshop users, clashes horribly with um, a keyboard shortcut in there that I'm never going to remember is now something else. But it is um, Shift, Option and Command S... So this is in Mountain Lion. will instigate a save as rather than having to duplicate and generally fiddle. So this hack that Carrie has sent us from Steve um, re-enables save as in certain applications on Lion. I must admit I haven't tried it yet, but it may well be worth trying. I know uh, some of the apps are iWork. And there was another one, but I can't remember what. Can you? Text edit was the one that was mentioned in the article. Ah, text edit. Now, see, I don't use text edit, so that would be why. But we shall put a link in the show notes to that. I'm sure there will be some who will be joyous at its return. I know I am. The duplication thing doesn't work for me. I don't like it. It's 12 months on and I, it has not grown on me, I'm afraid. So, yes, save us back. So that, that was the first thing. Then there was, remember our Drobo discussion? I do. Mm, yes. Well, there was a reply to um, the original post. I said that Scott Kelby had written a blog post. And there was a reply within the week from the Drobo CEO, Tom, with a very strange surname that if I try pronouncing it, I'm going to get it terribly wrong, so I won't bother, <laughs> who said, thanks for the opportunity to put a few of my thoughts down. And we'll put a link to that as well. Um, highlights of it appeared to be to me. Have you read it yet? I've read it before, yeah. The highlights seem to be, never mind the fact the old ones don't work, we've got some new ones coming. That's, that's not what I took from it. What I took from it was all the comments and the fact that I think he responded because of who Scott Kelby is. Yes, that was what I took from a lot of the comments, um, that you can't ignore Scott Kelby. Um, it was a good response in terms of it was just what you needed to say in those circumstances, which made me think somebody else had written it. You know, the marketing department, unfortunately. Um, but <laughs> That's what it sounded like. Yes, but there, he did say... I mean, there was, there was no apology for, yes, it was all our fault and we'll, we'll do the same for anybody. I mean, that's what he said. But then, like you say, you read all the comments and people were saying that that wasn't their experience. But of course, what we didn't know at the point that he wrote that was that these products weren't just the new products, weren't just coming soon. They were imminent within days. So um, they then were announced and it was all Thunderbolt and um, nice toys, apparently. So uh, I wasn't overly impressed by that. It wasn't a blanket. You remember when Apple had problems with the bumper? Yeah. Well, it wasn't particularly problems with the bumper, was it? The bumper was terrible to start with. What's it, gate? Um, antenna gate. Antenna gate. They didn't argue. They just gave everybody who'd bought a bumper their money back and everybody else a free case. And it went away. You know, they rolled Steve Jobs out, he, he did a 20 minutes on it, and the whole problem vanished. It's amazing, isn't it? And I don't, I don't see this one vanishing from what they've said. 
So I wasn't overly impressed by that. At least he came back and said something. And yes, there's new products, but I won't be buying anyway, I'm afraid. So uh, we'll put a link in so you can read all of that. But if you do read the reply, do read the comments, because the comments were far more interesting, I thought. Yeah, it's good to hear from other users from their experiences as, as well, I think. Yes, it is. And another situation arose this week where it was good to hear from real users. And that's the smart cases. We didn't mention those last week, but they um, were surreptitiously slipped onto the site. That, of course, is the Apple site that I mean after the WWDC event. Sort of a smart cover, but with a back. Um, they looked not too bad on the site. I thought it was a, a good idea. Uh, I do have a smart cover, but I don't have a case on the back of any description. I haven't found I've needed it, to be honest, and I've had an iPad, oh, nude but not hairy, for over a year now, and uh, not a mark on it. So, yeah, if you if you want a case with a back, it looked not a bad idea, until you actually saw the colours of them, and I thought they were a little garish. I don't just mean the pink. <laughs> Why? I mean all of them. The red was far more red, and, and the blue was very bright blue not not as not as subtle as apple usually go for now you've actually seen them haven't you i've you mean in the store i mean in the store um no because i, I didn't take any <laughs> you notice. got sidetracked by all the other kit yeah we'll, we'll come on to my story of the apple store uh, a bit later on but um I I was in the Apple Store last weekend and I didn't I didn't even notice them I forgot all about them. So the fact that they're day glow you managed to miss them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah, everybody who's ordered one has sent it back. Everybody I know who has ordered one sent it back. They were saying it was very flimsy. It was a bad fit. The cover wouldn't stay closed. It, it was either a weak magnet or just the design of it. Um, apparently the back seems to have very sharp edges on it. Do you remember that hideous cover from iPad One? Yes. With the very sharp edges on it. They were yeah. saying it was like that, and uh, they just just don't like it. And back it's gone. So it's not just Drobo who have problems. Apple brings stuff out and we don't like it either. So um, I haven't actually physically seen one. I've seen a couple of video reviews and I was quite shocked. Uh, like I say, first of all, the garish colours shocked me. And the second thing was it, it just didn't look like an Apple product. But never mind smart cases. Minster's got us covered. Yes, Minster. He, quack, quack. Yes, quite. <laughs> he, he tweeted and said, if this isn't the best iPhone stand ever created by mankind, I don't know what is. Well, you know what I'm like for a new piece of kit. I had to click it, didn't I? Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, Minster. It could only be described as um, a rubber duck. Yes. Yes, it's a duck's beak that sticks to the back of your iPhone. I think somebody's clearly got his mind on the MacBite showering with Jane session after the learning webinars. The thing is, um, Minister hasn't been to any of our webinars, so um, might. Yes, but everybody knows about showering yeah, with Jane. Yeah, that's true. It's only he's... a matter of time before we end snaring yes, him now. Yes, he's probably been talking to Mr Dalton about it. I yes. think he has. If Minster thinks he is sticking that to my... Yes, quite. We get the picture, Siri. But Minster was on a roll. I mentioned sat-navs and turn-by-turn turn and said that I wasn't overly sold on the idea. Uh, heard from Nick Green, who said he found it difficult to read a map and drive at the same time. Ah, multitasking. This is the trick. Multitasking. But Minster, yes, again, he found a story and he tweeted it about a woman who followed her GPS, turn-by-turn, turn, no doubt, into a sand trap on a local golf course. So, hole in one there. <laughs> 
<laughs> Very funny. This is the problem. I think he's blindly following your satnav that's the problem. Apparently she'd had uh, one or two. So she could have been completely blindly drunk. But either way, she ended up in the bunker of the local golf course. Brilliant. Yes, that's what I thought. But then, and this was all my own. Nobody pointed me to this. I found it on my own. Do you remember the Koi Pond Mafia? Of course I remember the Koi Pond yes, Mafia. Yes, I think they're still following me. They're <laughs> hot on my trail. Oh, for anybody who, who can't remember, you've expunged it from your memory. Um, we talked about... Well, it was Jane, it was Jane. that started yeah, it, wasn't it? Was it? Yes. It was an app on um, probably the iPhone 3G. And it, I never could see the point of it, but Jane assured <laughs> me it was very relaxing. Mm. It was Koi and So was a shower and, apparently. And <laughs> Indeed. And you, you you interacted with it, didn't you? You tapped the screen and the water rippled. When you say you, yes, you I, don't mean me. You mean yeah, No. Well, I never users, had it, so yes. it wasn't me. But anyway, uh, then there was an iPad version as well. This wasn't free either, I don't think. I think this was a paid-for toy. Unbelievable. But that was all it did. These fish swam round anyway. So I made mention of it on Twitter, and I got followed by um, the Koi Pond Mafia. So at that point, I thought I'd better stop talking about this. But no, I found... I wonder if Jane's already got it. Yes, The Revenge of the Koi Pond. It's now available for your Mac. Just imagine 27 inches of koi <laughs> swimming. I can't, do people pay money for this? Well, Jane does. <laughs> well, she did, yes. Yeah, you know what she's going to say, don't you? It, it showed off the features of the hardware. Yes. Right, let's have a look. How much is it? It's a, it's a buy thing. It says buy in the, in the app store. $3. $2.99. So, Jane, I shall expect a review imminently. Oh, good grief. I missed that bit. There is additional premium fish and ponds avail available via in-app <laughs> I, I noticed that when I was looking at it. Oh, joy. Yes, yeah, so I'm not saying a word about that on Twitter, lest the Koi Pond Mafia be after me yet again. But um, I shall expect somebody to review that. Smartish. Anyway, onward, onward. This weekend, the great mobile me migration. It was the sunsetting service of the week. Well, actually, together with Zhang Zing and the usual slew of others. Do you know what? If Evernote ever sunsets, I'm done for. Mm, I know. I am completely done for. I'm not going to think about that. Um, went okay, went swimmingly for me. The only thing that concerned me was the handling of pre-existing aliases on the email. I couldn't find a way to manage them at all. I couldn't find a way to see what aliases I already had. Uh, I obviously could at the mobile me end, but once it had migrated, I couldn't find a way to do that. Um, but apart from that, not an issue. You're surprised, aren't you? Surprised. But that was when yours started to go pear-shaped. Oh, yes, it did, didn't it? Don't, don't, oh, yes, me. It wasn't me. No, it was me. Nothing to do it with me. It was me. I take full responsibility. Hear that, listeners? Live on air. Oh, hang, hang on. Let, let me just make sure I have got that. <laughs> Carry on. Full responsibility. Um, <laughs> yes, my contacts and my calendar were on my um, mobile me account. They should have been moved to a, a newly created iCloud account a few months ago. I was assured they had been, but do carry on. Yes, um, so uh, we did a bit of jiggery-pokery. Well, you did a bit of jiggery-pokery. No, what you mean is, when you'd <laughs> broken it, I fixed it for you. Yes, that. You see, nothing good ever comes of not listening to me. Yes, but I did make you flapjack. Mm, you did. Yeah, so it wasn't too bad in the end. But 
it wouldn't have happened at all if you could just take your what was your mobile me email address and assign it to your other iCloud account. It was the fact that Apple automatically generated you a new Apple ID when you got mobile me at the time it was dot Mac um, that caused the problem in the first place. I never actually treated my mobile me dot Mac, whatever you want to call it, as an Apple ID. So I always bought stuff on my what I consider to be my real Apple ID. But you've got stuff all over the place. I have. I've got uh, purchases from iTunes on my mobile me. I've got um, my now I've got my calendars and my contacts on my iCloud account. I've got my mail on my mobile me. Um, like you say, it's all over the place. Yeah, I, I just. And when they announced this, that people did say, well, you can't merge it, but I'm sure they'll sort that out. But to be honest, they haven't. So I took everything apart from the mail, and that was only because I couldn't move that, and put it onto what I consider to be my real Apple ID. And I've just left the mobile ma mail address there and all its aliases that I have no interface to. Um, so it, it was OK from that perspective. I did leave it till till the death, though, didn't I? I got my one day to go email. <laughs> there wasn't <laughs> a became... one day to go email, was there? No, it was a we're moving yes, in. We're so moving in now. Yes, we, I got a two day, three day, four day, five day, right back to fourteen. So I got a mail every day. You see, if they hadn't have done that, I would have moved sooner. But it became a matter of honour. Yeah, we were collecting emails like panini stickers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I wanted the full set. You, you remember the World Cup one? Yeah. It was a gold sticker. Yes. Very rare. Yes. I, want, I wanted the we're moving now, so get on with it email. So that finally bounced in Friday night. And I thought, right, OK, then I'll have a look at it now. But I'd pretty much done all of my work months and months ago. Um, my... Real Apple ID got iClouded when I got my iPhone 4S. And I said to them in the store, this isn't going to have any knock-on effect in creating a mobile me account, an iCloud account, is it? And they said, no, no, not a problem. Just just put your username there and your password in there. And as soon as I did, I got an email that said, welcome to iCloud. So the first one wasn't exactly intentional. The, <laughs> the second one was, and it, it was okay. Of course, your situation, bit of an issue. But that, that was operator error. So I don't think we can blame them for that. So I'd just like to have better handling of aliases. It says I've got three aliases left, so it looks like the original ones have just come over. But what if you want to delete one? If you were getting spammed to it or something, how could you do that? Ah, maybe a MacBiter out there will have already been there and felt the pain and will be able to tell me all about it. I look forward to hearing it. There was one story about a week ago, and I've not heard a peep about it, and I thought it was really interesting. It was on Cult of Mac, and it was saying that Apple has patented a system where they can take your browsing data and where they're passing that along to whoever. So say I go to Amazon and I buy a book. Um, they can hide that information and mask it. So people sniffing for information and trying to profile you get duff information. I thought that was rather interesting. Have you read it? Um, I had a quick look, but I haven't, must admit, formed any opinions on it. You don't understand no. that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why nobody's been talking about it. Um, yes, when you go to a browser and you put information in, so I'm, I'm looking for Koi Pond, and um, you know, I, I put that in my browser and I get profiled. So obviously Google collects information like there's no tomorrow. And what Apple seem to want to do is if you're using Safari, they want to mask that data so they get a fake profile of you and the information is useless. And that sounds fantastic. So the, Apple are there in their cape and, and underbunts on the outside and stuff, guarding your privacy. Um, but 
for that to work, Apple have to have the real information. And nobody seems concerned about Apple having all the information. It's a bit like you're being bullied by somebody and then somebody else comes along and shoes the bully off and then you pay them for protection. I was concerned about that. Why, why would we trust Apple any more than anybody else? They're a company after all and, and companies change, don't they? Why can't we have control of this? But it made very interesting reading, I thought. So I shall put that in the show notes. And when Mike's got an opinion, I'm sure we'll hear what it is. <laughs> I know what you do have an opinion about. What do I have an opinion about? Microsoft Surface. I do have an opinion about Microsoft Surface. And the Google Nexus. Yes. Oh, keep taking the tablets. It's been a good two weeks, hasn't it? It's been an interesting two weeks, yes. Yes, things have moved on in two weeks. After two years of nothing, we've now got lots of tablets. Um, well, when I say got lots of, Microsoft, no price, no availability, very few details. Um, that's where the Nexus surprised me, out in two weeks, and at a price to make Amazon cry. Because if, do you remember when Amazon announced the new Kindles? And then they at, at the end of the event, they had the Kindle Fire. And I said, I'd be tempted by that. At the right price and it's still not available mm. never, mind the, never mind the price it's not even here is it exactly so um when google said and it's out in two weeks i'm thinking yes of course it is in america in america and no it's in the uk i was i was shocked i was very shocked so yes surface nexus what do you think um the, the nexus looks good i'm impressed by the nexus um it's at the I'd say it's at the right price. I was going to say the the cheap end of the market, but um, no, that's that's probably not politically correct. It's it's at a good price for people. Well, it's not who... the cheapest, is it? I've seen Android tablets at ninety nine pounds. Have you? I haven't. I haven't. I haven't noticed. Um, I can't remember the manufacturer, but yes, it was ninety nine pounds from Scan ah. in the UK. So you can get cheaper when you say it's the right price. I think it's the spec that makes it the right yeah. price and the fact it's from google it's you know it's from google it's a it's a decent price it's a decent spec i think um and for people who i won't say want an ipad because i think you know there's a lot of people out there who would love an ipad um but for people who, who maybe can't afford an ipad but want a tablet it is uh it's something that's that's unlike microsoft where we don't know when that's going to be out you know you, you can get your hands on it in a in a fortnight Mm. Yeah, the Microsoft one was a bit odd. It was what I expected from Microsoft, to be honest, in terms of I remember somebody saying to me when iPad 1 was out and iPad 2 was maybe two or three months away. And this person made th this point and said, I'll never buy an iPad until they put a USB port on it and I can read stuff in off a pen drive. And I thought, good luck with that. You'll be a while. And pretty much, they were convinced that when iPad 2 came out, that, that Apple would see the error of their ways and put a USB port on it. And I thought, no, they'll just make it thinner and it'll probably have less ports on than it's got now because you know where Apple are heading. It's a bit like they never put Blu-ray on because one day we won't use media like that. So they're, they're thinking way ahead. And no, they never did, but of course Microsoft did. I think, to be honest, the Surface is exactly what people who haven't got a tablet but think they'd like a tablet but use Windows think a tablet is. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, it's it's a thin um, thin laptop, really, isn't it? Yeah, an upside-down laptop. Yeah. You can't say that the um, keyboard wasn't a good idea, but 
as you and I have said, I'm thinking through scenarios of do I want a MacBook Air or do I want to use my iPad? And part of the thinking against the MacBook Air is that if I'm working sort of in a cafe or in the car, I don't want to have to put the thing down somewhere flat so I can type on it. I can just about hold the iPad in my hand and maybe split the keyboard and type with my thumbs and, and like index fingers. But when I saw that, I thought it's one of those devices that you look at the way that they had it on the slides and there it was looking all beautiful. You can imagine, I can imagine corporates looking at that and thinking that's exactly what we want. And of course, the keyboard is if Apple had brought that keyboard out rather than that horrendous new smart case, we'd have said it, it was genius. So you can't deny the ideas there, but I think maybe in practice it's going to be completely different. You could well find that you're not using the keyboard, that you use it like a cover. But I think if you asked a corporate to design what a tablet should look like uh, for a business use case, I think that's it. I think you're right. I, and I can see companies like yours thinking, well, the iPad's all very well, but um, you know we're on Windows, so um, let's have a look at this Surface thing. You could be saddled with one. Uh, along with my Blackberry, you mean? <laughs> yes. Oh, very well done this week. <laughs> Only you, just as they're turning the lights out, and you, you get to train Blackberry. Yes. <laughs> Could only happen to you. Um, so, yes, you suggested about Bytes Live to cover the Microsoft event. No takers, I, I seem to recall. No, well, it was it was at silly o'clock, though, wasn't it? It was at silly o'clock, and, of course, Mayer decided that that night was the night he was going to um, prowl the premises. Yes. So uh, we, we were all over the place. Lucky I had an iPad, really, to carry around with me mm. as I followed behind him. Presso was better than previous. Yeah, I I thought the presentation was better than, than those they've done in the past. I think Barmer's obviously had some media training or uh, presentation skills training. Oh, bless him. <laughs> yeah, he looked like he had. I've, I've seen him a lot worse, developers, developers, developers. Yes. But he, it wasn't really all there, was it? It wasn't, no. Um, the PowerPoints were better. Um, and although the although the demo crashed, you know, it happens to the best of us. That's what... Uh, that's what happens when you do live demos, live training courses. You take your uh, life in your hands, as they say. It did crash, and it was obvious to me as soon as he had to press the button twice, I thought, oh dear, he, it's gone. And it isn't whether something crashes. As you say, I had a catastrophe last week with a slide. Do you remember I that? I remember that one. <laughs> yes. It's not what happens, it's how you handle it. And I'm afraid he didn't handle it well. He tried to hide it. That's not good when it's going live and you've got a room full of journalists sitting there like praying mantis. So you may as well just come clean and say, oh dear, and go and get another one. He tried to hide it. And um, there was more comment made about the fact he tried to hide it than it actually crashing. Like you say, it happens to me, happens to you, happens to Steve Jobs. It's how you handle it, and he didn't handle it well. Um, but like you say, I think it was better than most. To me, it was under-rehearsed. It was a little... Oh, what would we say was wrong with it? The timing? The timing, maybe? I don't know. You're the presentations expert. They didn't look particularly comfortable. It was as though they knew something that you didn't. So maybe they knew it was going to crash, <laughs> although it wasn't quite there yet. But obviously, they, they I wondered why they'd done it that week. And then I looked at my calendar and thought, ah, it's Google I.O. next week. So all became clear, because if they'd have done it after Google I.O., it would have been they were in the wake of Google. By doing it before, I think they thought whatever Google bring out, people may wait for the Microsoft one, which corporates may well do, like I said. It doesn't look to me at all 
that the Nexus is um, supposed to be competing with what Microsoft is saying is a business machine. So maybe their timing was for that reason, but um, overhyped as well. They managed to get a lot of hype that day by not telling people where it was and stuff like that. But it definitely seemed to me rushed out the door to get eyeballs on it before Nexus. But um, I did think that they had learnt a lot from Apple, like you're saying, in the use of PowerPoint. And I found this great video, which you've just seen now, haven't you? <laughs> that was hysterical. <laughs> uh, it's only about three minutes long. I'll put, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's, it's a got to see. It's, somebody has taken the um, Surface presentation, sliced and diced bits out of it, and the Steve Jobs introduction of iPad from 2010 and cut them together and so you know Steve Jobs says good morning and then Bulmer says good afternoon it's brilliant it's genius and there is a lot of overlap it's as if Microsoft sat and watched the iPad launch and said right okay then let's change three words and call it done you know like a kid copying somebody else's homework <laughs> yeah and just just <laughs> changing enough that they'll never know that's just what it looked like so that was a great video I'm thinking for the next one they need to have um, cuddly Phil dive-bombing the roof of Moscone West, a la Google Glasses. Yes. No, actually, it's glass, isn't it? Google Glass. That was the only thing that was missing, I thought. But um, Microsoft have improved the presentation. There's a classic one as well. It was an event uh, in Norway, Iceland, up that way somewhere. Um, it was a Microsoft-sponsored event. It wasn't a Microsoft event, but they had sponsored it with the Azure platform. Um, it's definitely not safe for work, but it's hysterical. Again, it's on YouTube. Uh, Dancing Girls for Developers Peace. You think I'm joking, don't you? Uh, I showed it to you, literally, before we started recording. It's a classic, isn't it? It's a classic, and I can't get that song out of my head now. <laughs> I would sing it, but maybe not. If you think to the tune of um, Star Trekking, it's, it's got that kind of tone to it, hasn't it? So I'm a software developer for the rest of my life. You see, now you're singing it in your head, I aren't am, you? actually. Yes. Now you've heard it. Is it just me? Or does that sound suspiciously like Siri on lead vocals? What? But enough of that. And anyway, I've upset Siri now. Uh, yes, Google Chrome for iOS also came out of Google I.O. I was interested in that. And it was one of those things, you know, like um, iPad 3rd Gen. Little Cyril. Unavailable all night. What were they thinking? But finally, the uh, following morning, it was available. And for me, so worth the wait. I'd like to be able to set it as my default browser on iOS, but I can't. And I can live with that, but it's already replaced Safari on my iPad and iPhone dock. Yeah, I don't have a browser on my dock, but I do have... Well, I did have Safari on the home screen of my iPhone and also the home screen of my... Well, home screen, first screen, should I say, of my iPhone and my iPad. Uh, but I've done exactly the same as you. I've relegated Safari over to the second screen and I've now put Chrome on as my main browser. For me, um, the bookmarking syncing works well. I know you don't use bookmarking on your devices the same way as I do, but because I'm out more, um, I've always synced um, my Safari bookmarks to the bookmarks that I've um, got here on my Mac. Now, for me, I've been using Chrome at home for quite a while. I think we discussed this on the last episode, but Safari, obviously, on the iOS. So what I've been doing is every 
you know, every week or so, I've been manually syncing the bookmarks by exporting the Chrome bookmarks. Because what I'll do is anything I bookmark, I'll do it on Chrome on the on the Mac. So I'll manually export the Chrome bookmarks, import them into Safari, and then via as it was then mobile me syncing, uh, that would update Safari on the um, on the the iDevices. But I don't need to do that now because I'm using Chrome on all my devices. I've also got Chrome at work. So it's nice to have all my bookmarks available there and available on the uh, iOS devices too. That's how things should work. It should. Now there was there was talk about the speed. I know a lot of people said that Chrome was slower than Safari on the, the iPhone and iPad. Uh, but for me, when I'm out and that's when I'm using the devices more. I'm on 3G and uh, or maybe using the Miffy uh, anyway, so it's not that fast to start with. I have actually tested it here in the, in the house at MacBytes headquarters, uh, and I've, I've actually found that it is pretty much the same speed as Safari. You, you, you're probably talking one second, half a second slower, which is you know negligible i know some people that don't go mad with stats but me you know <laughs> if something I, I, if it feels right yeah, i don't bother with iStat menus or anything like that if it feels right oh don't set that don't say that you're the iStat <laughs> mafia after you i said that and that was the end of it you can edit that out if you like <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not protecting you <laughs> um no it, it feels pretty much the same speed as safari so i'm happy with it I'm not finding it slower, um, but everyone's experience differs. Um, in relation to that, we heard from Alistair Jenks after the last show, and I mentioned that um, I don't use the desktop version of Safari because it started slowing down for me and crashing. And um, he said Safari crashing is a very rare event for many of us, and I'm finding a very consistent theme with applications that people say crash a lot in that they are almost universally stable for most users. Um, so thank you for, for that, Alistair. But maybe that's the case. The thing is, despite the fact that we're on a Mac platform and because of that, we don't have the huge range of potential hardware conflicts that Windows software faces. I mean, we had that when we were on Windows. The, the permutations were just innumerable. Um, but you still have users that have a varied experience with software. Now, Chrome's rock solid for me. Um, but this week there was news that it's causing kernel panics on the new MacBook Airs because they have a specific graphics chip. So it's not just the software and certainly not the software in isolation. So everybody's experience is going to be different. Um, and I find it's good to hear both positive and negative reports of people's experiences with apps. That way, if we do have issues, then we know we're not alone. Um, the biggest one over the last few years for me is Aperture. Uh, my experience wasn't good. As soon as Aperture 3 came out, I updated and it was really painfully slow. Your first thought would be, oh dear, it's me. But I was hearing from lots of people, they too had issues like that. But then there were others telling me, no, it's working okay for me or it's working really, really well. Now, one of the people who said that to me is Nick Green. Now, I trust his opinion. And because of that, I'll, I'm going to keep trying with Aperture. I am going to figure out what the difference is. We have very similar hardware and I've completely nuked everything. So I'm still going to test that because I've heard it's working for some people. So sharing information is very, very good. And as I say, everybody's experience is different, equally valid, but very, very different. So it could be different hardware. It could be conflicting software. It could be settings 
could just be the fact that we want different things from applications or have different expectations of them. Um, in that regard, this week, there was the podcast app from Apple. And it was really funny. First on my Twitter feed and Facebook was, oh, new, new podcast application from Apple. Fantastic. And off everybody went. And within five minutes, I was hearing universal derision that it's not all there. But at that point, I hadn't tried it. So I downloaded it. So I thought, OK, no, but I'm not hearing anybody have anything good to say about this yet. So I gave it a go and it's free. It's from Apple and it's not going to get kicked out of the store anytime soon. I'd say if it introduces podcasts to a new audience, that's fantastic. Am I using it? No, I've tried it. No, I want my podcast to sync between devices and I want a lot more than that. Uh, that's a review for another week, though, to be honest. But it's there and if people want to use it, that's absolutely fine. No problem with that at all. I'm not. I've only heard of one person and that was Alistair who said that it's perfect for him, which is great. Everybody else, they're not keen on it. But that's what being different. That's what makes the world go round. But anyway, back to browsers on iOS. I find it quite strange that I changed to Google Chrome because I already had a little folder called browsers, full of browsers, and I still was using Safari as the default. There's more browsers on iOS than you would imagine. Um, I've got iCab Mobile, Mercury, Rockmelt. Remember Rockmelt? That was going to be a um, social browser. Never really took off for me. Portal. That one's got a very strange interface. There's Opera Mini. Now, Opera Mini, I do find slow because they've got some kind of um, caching going on. Their end, I think. And then they pass that on to you, supposedly. And the other one, uh, Diageo? Digio? Digio. <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite sure how you say it. It used to be called iChromey. And that was why that was the one that I used most, because it did look like Chrome. But um, it's not quite Chrome. So I'm glad that we've got a native Chrome now. Uh, but you can never have too many browsers, as people who know me will know. You've forgotten and, um, one. Skyfire. I, I've only ever used Skyfire in anger once, which was a video that my mum wanted to watch. And I only had my iPad with me. And I thought, oh, no, it's, it's a flash video. And I thought, I wonder if this Skyfire thing will actually work. And it did. <laughs> so just for using it once, it worked and it worked very well. Uh, but now we're going to have another one soon. There was a video um, of a bit of a launch. It was pretty understated. It, it wasn't up there with an Apple launch of something called Firefox Junior. Now, have you seen that video? Not yet. It's quite long. It's about 22, 23 minutes. Um, and it's introducing Firefox, but it's not Firefox as you know it. It's very much, um, what's that Microsoft word? Reimagined. Yes, a bulmerism. Uh, a reimagined browser. So very, very different in concept. Uh, they're trying to do away with the URL bar, things like that. Radical things that I, immediately I'm thinking, what? So the video is worth, worth a watch. I must admit, I got completely sidetracked towards the end as I'm thinking it wasn't polished. If you think the Microsoft presentation wasn't polished, you really need to see this Firefox one. It was like two kids presenting. But the funniest thing of the lot had to be they were they were wrapping up at the end. And you know what they say with presentations, Mike? Finish strong. Yeah. Yeah, this this sort of, I would like to say it sort of petered out, but um, it actually finished quite strong if you think about it. Um, a fire alarm went off and they stood there and they were like, is this for real? Do we have to go? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, Firefox. Yes, clues in the name. So I don't know whether it was a put-up job, but the fire alarm went off and um, 
they got abruptly curtailed and had to disappear. So if you only watch the last minute of it, you'll get the idea. So uh, they're hopeful, I presume, that Firefox will be with us on mobile soon. I'm not going to Firefox. I, I Firefox I don't even have installed anymore. And you know what I was for, for the queen of the browsers. But you know what? What else I'll do, don't you? I say I won't do it and then I'll download and test it anyway. Oh, dear. But what I was looking forward to was Google Drive for iOS because I do use Google Docs. Under pain, I suffer with it. Right, yes, I don't use it, do I? I suffer with it. But it's it's horrible on iOS. And I thought, they'll do something, they'll do something. And when Docs became Drive, my experience became even worse. The sorting's gone for me. Has it gone for you? I think it's gone for me. I've, I've, I've stopped using it. I'm finding it more difficult to find the files I need. I'm just searching for them now. Well, when it was Docs, it had tags at the side. And when it went to Drive, it got folders. And it, they, tr they are treated more as folders than tags. But everything transitioned across and looked absolutely fine. At the time, what I'd done was, the, the transition from Docs to Drive, I was also sunsetting Wave. I've got, got the terminology now, have you noticed? Yeah. So I was extracting all my stuff from Wave as PDF, and I was putting it on, into Docs Stroke Drive. So some of the stuff in there um, has dates that are newer than some of the other stuff, which is actually newer than the stuff I've put in. So I've got sort of old notes from a couple of years back that are dated April this year. So I realise if I sort by last modified, it's not going to be correct. But I, if I sort by last modified, I would expect sort of the, the recording notes for today to be at the top. And they're not. They're nowhere to be seen. So like you, I'm having to search for everything. Now, it's good that Google are pretty hot with search, but it's not a good experience that I'm sorting by last modified and I haven't even got all my documents listed, never mind in the right order. So I had high hopes. I should have known, shouldn't I? So Google Drive came out, which is an app for iOS, and um, I eagerly installed it and I thought it was me. I'm looking at the docs thinking, you know, I had it on my um, iPad Cyril, so the screen was beautiful. You know, the interface is very nice and sharp as anything. I'm thinking, that looks fantastic. Right, let's edit this document. And that was when I came to a grinding halt and I thought it was me. So I asked you. You know, one of these situations where um, it's blindingly obvious what you're supposed to do and I totally miss it. Yeah, so I did a bit of Googling, if you pardon the pun, and uh, no, you can't edit your Google Docs on your iDevices. I mean, what? What? Two and a half years, and I don't have a dedicated interface to edit my Google Docs. I think they're planning to use um, QuickOffice, which they bought recently, to make it a, a Docs editor. I think we'll see that. We might eventually, but then you've got to round trip it. You're taking it out of Docs, which is in essence just a viewer. You take it over to an app and then you save it back. But as you found when you looked at Cloudon and the other alternatives, it was ripping stuff out when you did that. Yeah. So and I don't with, think you trust it. With Cloudon, if Cloudon will connect to Google Drive, but if you actually opened, um, say, a, a, a Google Doc document um, and it made changes and saved it in Cloudon, it then sticks a .doc on the end or a .docx and with a, with a Google spreadsheet, it then sticks a, an XLSX on the end if you do it through Cloudon. So you end up with two documents. Mm, this is that's, my problem with it. That's ridiculous. 
yeah well i was finding you could take it off because obviously i thought oh look there was there was one of the buttons that you tap and you can send it out somewhere so i thought well at least in an emergency i could get a document out and i could edit it only i found when you did that it sent it out as a pdf yes i've tried that um i think i did it with a text file i, I ended up with the same problem I mean, you could take the PDF and take it into something like Goodreader or one of those PDF markups and, and you could add stuff there. But ultimately, you're not editing the original document. So I was incredibly disappointed with that. Whatever they do with it in the future, it's going to take a, a good while longer. If it was a matter of days, then they would probably have hung on. So I'm expecting a good few months wait. And no idea whether I'll ever be able to do it. You can, of course, I've heard, edit it on Android. That's not much use to me either. No. No. So um, Google Drive, mm, not overly impressed here. Would be if I could edit, but I can't. And then there was Google Glass. $1,500. I decided to skip that. I was thinking MacBook Airs, new iMac. I was thinking anything, actually, <laughs> Google Glass. <laughs> no, I, I, I can see in the future maybe we'll all do that. But if they'd have brought that out at $199, well then I'd have looked as silly as everybody else wearing one. But never mind. We've got a section now that we haven't had in, oh, quite a while. We have. Do we... you think we're going to be a bit rusty? Yeah, should we practice it? Let's try our best. One, two, two three. three. iPhone, 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 iPhone. That was pretty good, actually. It was. It? Anyway, I shall hand it over to you now for your tale of woe. Thank you very much, yes. Saturday night, last Saturday night, uh, about 12.15 in the morning, so it was it was just Sunday morning, really. I was still up. Um, I pressed the sleep-wake button on my iPhone. Um, I was going to about to go to bed, and I just wanted to make sure that my alarm was off on the phone. So uh, I pressed the sleep-wake button, as I say, and although it responded, it just didn't feel right. Uh, it wasn't clicking, uh, even though the phone was actually on silent. I gave it to you, and you, you agreed that it wasn't right. No, it was, um, it was as if it had been pressed in and had stayed pressed in. So it was yeah. very unresponsive. It just had no clickability, if that's mm. the word. So uh, you checked the Apple website for me um, to book a genius appointment and you were told, well not told, but it came back and said there was none available at the Trafford Centre until Wednesday. At which point I tried Manchester and I tried Liverpool and their um, lead time was even more. So uh, at the same time I actually logged into the AppleCare site because I wanted to get the AppleCare agreement number uh, to find that my AppleCare had expired 15 minutes ago. Fabulous! <laughs> Yeah, she couldn't make it up, could she? <laughs> Do you think Apple have... Oh, right, his Apple Care's about to go. <laughs> it, yes, it's always the way. That happened to me with my first compact laptop, you know. I remember that. The the, the screen went mm. and it was just out of warranty. And I'm going to name them and shame them. PC World wouldn't do anything. Well, the clue's in the name. It was yes. PC World. No, they're not going to do anything. <laughs> yeah, anyway, back to my story. What I decided to do was first thing um, Sunday morning... When you I say you decided to do, do you mean this that I recommended you did? Yes. Despite the fact there's no genius appointments, go up there and cry anyway. <laughs> yes. Yes. Carry on. Right. So... Where was you I? decided to go to the um, Trafford Centre because I, I told decided, you to. <laughs> I decided on your advice to go to the Trafford Centre anyway uh, on the Sunday morning, just on the off chance that they might be able to do something. Or even if they wouldn't there and then, 
if I had to go back later in the week, at least I thought, you know, maybe I can get some kind of written confirmation that they might swap it or fix it for free, given that it was only just out of warranty. Because, you know, if you leave it a week, they might they might say, well, you know, it's five days out of warranty. Sorry, we can't do anything. Or at least that was my experience with PC World. <laughs> um, but if you are, you know, literally 15 minutes... And okay, it was 12 hours, but 11 hours and 45 minutes, the shop was shut, so I couldn't have done How anything. How wholly unreasonable to shut overnight. <laughs> yes. So I took all my music off. I took my photos off. I took my podcasts off, uh, off the phone. Um, and I backed up the text messages using phone view and then backed up the rest of what was on the phone to iCloud. So I got to the Trafford Centre about 20 minutes before it opened, about 20 to 12 on Sunday morning. And there was actually about 20 people in the queue. And I'm thinking, um, is there a, a launch going on that we didn't know about? Do you remember when we went down for the Snow Leopard launch and there were two in the queue? <laughs> yes. It was actually the only shop on a Sunday morning in the Trafford Centre with a queue outside before it had opened. Many people were actually taking stuff back by the look of it. But I think there was there was other people who obviously wanted to buy and browse and, and, and that kind of thing. So I spoke to one of the staff who said I'd need a genius appointment, check the schedule and guess what? There was actually one at 12.30, half an hour later. So either someone cancelled first thing or they lied on the website. Well, it think? was me that checked the website. It was the Trafford Centre. I think they lied. We don't want her coming in. <laughs> No. No, you see, I stayed at home. I did the right thing. I had a wander around the store. I uh, played with a new Retina MacBook, and uh, very nice it was too, although I had to get very close to see the difference. You know what my eyesight's like. Yes, it wouldn't be worth you buying one. You should buy me one instead. I'd appreciate it. Right. Uh, moving on. Yes, why didn't you come back with any toys for me? Didn't I come back with any toys anyway, for you? Anyway, carry on. I shall sit and sulk while you tell your story. Half past twelve comes along. I went to see the genius man who uh, pressed the wake-sleep button a couple of times before declaring, yes, you're right. <laughs> he then said, uh, I should charge you £130 to repair this because it's out of warranty. But because I'm nice, I'll swap it for free. Yes. Mm, the old ones are the best. They just like to play the hero, don't yes. they? And they want you to love them. So you play along and say, oh, thank you so much. What marvellous service. This is where yes, I go wrong. it makes up for the rubbish service we've had before. It does, yes. <laughs> I'm sending you in with all my stuff that's broken. Okay. He Anyway, he brought out a new iPhone 4, and uh, I was thinking to myself on the way there, I wonder if Matt buys Siri will get a little brother today. <laughs> but it wasn't to be. There's only room for one Siri at MacBytes headquarters. So, with the paperwork done, it was back home with my new toy and uh, an iCloud Restore. Yes, you had a bit of an issue with your Restore, didn't you? We'd, um, we've talked about this on MacBytes when we, uh, I got an SSD um, in my iMac and I didn't want to back up uh, all my iDevices to it because it was taking about 40, 50 gig in the end. So um, I moved them to an external drive and you followed suit because you're on a laptop. But when you came to do a restore, it doesn't offer those as a restore unless you actually physically move the stuff back to the main hard drive. Despite the fact there's a symbolic link from your main drive to your backup drive, that doesn't do it, does it? No, so I just decided in the end to do an iCloud restore. It was the easiest. Now, I thought iCloud backups didn't come out of your allowance, but your, your um, documents and data stats say that you've got a three gig backup up there, which seems to be eating into your five gig, but I was yeah. sure it didn't. I don't know. It looks like it, as you say, but... Uh... 
Well, it worked. So you got all your text messages back and a working phone, which was fantastic. Yes, it is. Yeah, through gritted teeth, she said, well done, Trafford Centre. <laughs> but on to the app review. We have toys. We have two toys that do a similar but slightly different job. And they're quite cost effective as well. But first, what's the issue? Well, we're looking at microphones and a lot of microphones don't have a hardware mute button. So I'm thinking something like your blue snowball. There's also the snowflake and sort of, to be honest, the smaller the microphone, the less chance there is it'll have a hardware mute button on it. Now, you could use a microphone via a mixer and you could control it via that mixer. Sometimes your software has a mute option. So if you think about Skype, you think about Connect, um, all, a lot of software has a mute option. Now, my problem that I was experiencing with it, um, I solved in a different way. But pretty much when I'm using uh, web software, which I could be doing on the move with a smaller microphone and I go full screen, I can't get access to that mute button. So it wouldn't really matter what the software was and whether it provided a mute option. As soon as you go full screen, you lose access to virtually everything. All you can see is either your full screen app or your slides if you're demoing that. So to be honest, this little bit, a little aside here is the problems that I experience with this. Um, there's a lot to juggle when you're doing a webinar and that's what I do virtually all day, every day. So I've got Keynote. Um, if I go full screen with that, I lose access to the chat and all sorts. So I have an iPad for monitoring. Then I have my running order and I have to have that somewhere I can see it. And I've got a chat room to monitor. I've got questions coming into a question pod, so I need to put that somewhere. I have to have software to zoom the screen. I have software to highlight the mouse pointer. I've got a million system wide shortcuts. I've got an iPad that I demo on. I have to have my email available for anybody who's got any problems during the presentation. I've got a presentation timer running. So you can imagine the last thing I need to be thinking about is moving all those applications around the screen to be able to find the application that's broadcasting my microphone to press a button to mute it. There's also, you could control it via the preference pane, but then you've got another window open. So that was what the issue was. You are broadcasting via anything and you want to mute your microphone and you do not have a hardware mute button. Now, my situation was different because I had a Yeti and it does have a mute button, but yours didn't. So first of all, we looked at mute my mic. Mute my mic? Now that sounds promising. Not that mic. Yes, mute my mic is a little application. You run it and a little microphone icon appears up in your menu bar. It changes to red when the mic is mute and black when the mic is not mute. There's shortcut keys to increase and decrease the input volume um, and there's a shortcut key to mute and unmute. So um, if you haven't got a, a, a button on, on the mic microphone itself, then you can uh, use this keyboard shortcut um, to mute and unmute. But um, as you keep reminding me, I have difficulty remembering shortcut keys at the best of times, don't I? Well, there's a lot of them, isn't there? And as I've just said, there's a lot of software you're managing doing yeah. live demonstrations. And if you're in any way unsure, then don't rely on it. Yeah. The other thing is the key combination is option. This is to, to mute and unmute. The key combination is option and F5. 
And if, like me, you've you've got the Apple uh, wireless keyboard, the function keys double up their actions. Um, so I'd have to press the FN key along with Option and F5. Apart from the fact that you've got to remember the, the function key and you've got to get your key if your fingers to it, um, the main problem is that when you're presenting a keynote slideshow, which we do all the time in webinars, because you're full screen, the, the shortcuts actually don't work. Uh, PowerPoint is fine, by the way, it's just in Keynote. Although you came up with a solution to that. Yes, Keynote has a sneaky hidden option in its preferences. And this option does far more than it implies it does. You bring up the Keynote preferences and you go to the Slideshow tab. Now there's a lot of options in there. They are checkboxes and a few radio buttons. Looking at the interface for that, it's a bit wordy, isn't it? If yeah. you look at that particular, it's very unApple like those options, and you'd really have to know what each one did precisely to be to know whether you should enable it or not. But there's one in there called well, this is this is its label: allow expose dashboard and others to use the screen. And then underneath that, in smaller letters, it says caution can reduce animation performance on some hardware. Now, by default, not that, that would worry you. Well, you'd think not. Uh, by default, that option is off. So when you go into your presentation and you're presenting, pretty much Keynote has complete control of your machine. I suppose it's to save you from yourself. If you did happen to use some kind of odd shortcut, it wouldn't take you out of Keynote and do something different. Um, now, it says screen. So you're thinking things that interact with the screen, and that's what I've used it for. Now, when you said it shouldn't bother you performance-wise, I've got a fairly powerful machine, 27-inch iMac, um, latest build. It's got an SSD in it. It's got 16 gig of RAM. And if I do enable this option, I do see a flicker on the screen. So whatever this option is, however they've done it, it does affect performance. But... I had a look at the option and I thought, well, it's allow others to use the screen. It doesn't mention audio, but it's worth a try because I found with some applications that don't seem to work too well with Keynote, if you enable that option, it's the kickstart it needs. So I said, well, give it a go. So I did. I stuck a tick in the box and that actually worked. So although it says use the screen, it actually kind of unlocks Keynote, doesn't it? Yeah. So now if, if there is a tick in that box... Um, the shortcut keys do actually work. They do actually mute the microphone, unmute the microphone. However, I decided that, uh, to be honest, having seen your blue Yeti with a mute button on the mic, it's actually a lot easier just to stretch out my arm and press a button to mute and uh, unmute the mic. Plus the fact I felt that I'd outgrown the blue snowball. Great mic though it is, and with all the projects that we've got coming up, uh, a professional microphone was worth investing in. Nevertheless, Mute My Mic is a, a nice little app. It's only £1.49 and it's available from the Mac App Store. So that was the first one. But then last week there was a new application out called Shush from uh, Mizage. It was introductory price, 69 pence, but it's now £1.99. And I assumed it did a similar job, but actually it does it in a different way. So it does a it, it controls your microphone, but in a completely different way. As Mute My Mic, it runs as a menu bar app, so there's nothing in the way of an interface. You control it via the preferences. So within the preferences, 
there's um, the ubiquitous start at login option. Now, I don't have anything running at login, which you might think is strange, but it's great for troubleshooting. And just in case you think I'm masochistic and manually start everything. Surely you have people for that. You offering? Forget I spoke. As I was saying, uh, if you think I manually start everything, I don't. I have a, I have a script to run what I consider to be standard. So I edit that script as required. And then, so it, my machine boots up SSD, so it boots fairly quickly and I've got nothing in the menu bar at all. And then I, if I'm not troubleshooting, if I'm just starting up because I've rebooted after installing something, I just run this script and it sets it up. So um, back to Shush. So it's got this option to show it in the menu bar or not. So if you choose not to, it runs completely faceless. Now, I appreciate the developer being considerate enough on that to not presume I always want the icon on display because, frankly, I don't. There are so many applications that you cannot remove from the menu bar. In fact, when I first got a Mac, I thought, oh, this is cool, this menu bar area. And I started adding, adding things to it. And I've gone completely the other way trying to take things away. And it's surprising just how many applications just do not give you an option. So um, this one does, which is good. Now, there was also an option for a coloured menu bar, but that didn't make a difference. And you can animate this menu bar as well. So it gives you a visual indication as to whether your microphone is live or not. And you can also have an audio indication as to whether the mic is live or not. So in use, what does it actually do? Well, unlike Mute My Mic, where you have to mute it, Shush mutes your mic instantly. So as soon as you run it, it mutes your microphone. Not just your default microphone, it mutes all your microphones. So there's going to be no accidents at all if you are broadcasting anything you don't want to broadcast. So what that means is, um, in terms of muting all your microphones, for me, it would mute the Yeti and the internal mic. Now, I've, I've actually done this. Yes, I've muted my Yeti, but managed to still broadcast on the internal mic. <laughs> yeah, luckily, I only did it the once and luckily I wasn't saying anything. It was when I had a cold, do you remember? I do. And I, I was coughing and um, I muted my microphone and then coughed and managed to nearly deafen people at the other <laughs> end because the internal microphone kicked in automatically and I had no idea. So treat every microphone as though it's live all the time because one day it will be. Um, anyway, what this does is it mutes it. So when you want to talk, you press and hold a user-defined shortcut key. So it's not got the problems that Mute My Mic has, that it's um, an odd shortcut key. You can make it whatever you want. So in effect, it's push to talk. Anybody who's familiar with amateur radio will be familiar with that term. Um, you need to keep that shortcut pressed to be able to talk. As soon as you let the shortcut key go, it mutes again. So uh, in, I think in this case, it's the function key which I don't particularly use for much else anyway. So if you want to talk, you hold the function key down. And then as soon as you let go, it mutes everything. Do you realise politicians would pay a fortune for this? <laughs> <laughs> now, I actually have a Blue Yeti, so I've got a hardware mute. And that's indicated by a flashing red light when it's enabled. Flashing red light? You'll get Minster all excited. That's very true, actually, Siri. Anyway, uh, I wondered if it would work at all with my microphone, and if it did, would there be any indication of it? So um, I ran the application, and yes, it uh, enabled it completely. So the red light on my Yeti started flashing, indicating it was muted. And so this software completely controlled it, which I was quite impressed with. So it'd be great for where you have a requirement to speak intermittently. So maybe a conference call. You do that a lot, don't you? I do that a lot, yeah. 
and that you'd like other people to to be considerate enough to mute themselves i've read your blog post <laughs> yes <laughs> we'll put a link in the show notes to mike's blog post on that for me for a webinar i can't be holding down a key for the entire webinar it's not really intended for that use case or that scenario it's intended for intermittent speaking really but for that it works very very well but I have to say it's exceptional for microphones without a hardware mute, as is mute my mic once you get it working with Keynote. Um, and it would be fantastic if you need to speak intermittently. So I can highly recommend that. Uh, £1.99, that one is. So uh, positive bargain, the software this week. I'm, I'm still repenting, aren't I, for the CS6 thing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, in relation to bargains, let's go on to the hardware review. Thunderbolt on a budget. Thunderbolt's not cheap, but um, how to do it on a budget? Yes, I promised that we'd cover how um, we back up at MacBytes headquarters and all that that involves. So consider this the first step in that series. We'll call this the hardware. Well, my primary drives that I work with are either Firewire or they're USB 2. Um, I like to use the Firewire drives, they are much faster. So I have a collection of Firewire 800 drives daisy-chained together. Now, daisy-chaining drives like that, there's no other way to do it, but sometimes it can be a bit of a problem if one of the drives in the middle of the chain fails, because then you have to take the whole lot down to unplug the one in the middle and replace it or extricate it out of the way. But um, I do prefer the Firewire drives, they are way, way faster than the USB 2. So why not Thunderbolt? Why haven't I gone to Thunderbolt before now? Well, pretty much the only Thunderbolt drives I could find were a C, and I haven't had good experience with their power supplies. Um, I only have one Thunderbolt-enabled iMac, so it would only work on one computer. And to be honest, they are horrendously expensive. So that's why not Thunderbolt so far. But what I have been doing is, as I've needed more drives, I've started buying Seagate GoFlex drives. There was method in my madness. It was forward planning. A Seagate GoFlex is an external drive with a detachable base on it uh, or a plinth. Um, they're shipped with USB 2 connections, but you can buy alternatives. So if you have uh, USB 3, you can buy a base for that. Or if you want Firewire 800, as I did, you can buy a Firewire 800 base. So I bought the original drives and then I bought as an extra item the Firewire 800 bases for them. So probably over about the last 18 months, I've probably got about eight or nine of these drives. Some of them are on USB 2 and as I say, some are on Firewire 800s. But the benefit is that you can swap those bases as and when you need. So if I'm working on a drive and the drive gets full or I want to use a different drive, but I need it to use it in, in a scenario where I want it faster, I just change the base and it starts moving faster. So, method in my madness was, Seagate assured us that there was a Thunderbolt base coming soon. Oh, and there is, it's here now. It's um, a little bit bigger than the standard bases. It's a bigger base and it has a side panel on it, but it fits the three and a half inch versions of the GoFlex drives. I had a bit of a wobble with that because the GoFlex drives have recently been redesigned and I was concerned about the fit of the older drives, whether it, they would fit at all and if they did, whether it you know, would wobble or whatever. But to be honest, it's a perfect fit. 
So I paid for my last three terabyte GoFlex drive £119, which is only fractionally more expensive than if it was a bare drive. The base, the Thunderbolt base, is £170, which, well, it's all its money, means that for £289, I've got a fire, a three terabyte Thunderbolt drive. Now, you need to buy the cable extra, and that's not surprising, given it's £39 from Apple, so you need your Thunderbolt cable, but you would need that whatever. So, for comparison, I have my three terabyte Thunderbolt drive for £289. A one terabyte Lassie Thunderbolt drive is 330 and a two terabyte Lassie drive is 400. But the 400 pounds one is only a 5,400 RPM. So I find that a bit odd. You know, it's got a two terabyte capacity, but it's a, a lower speed than the one terabyte. So it would cost me 111 pounds more for 50% less space, well, 30% less space, and a slower drive. So I was quite happy with that as it went. It was a good saving to start with, but, and this is a killer but, I can use that single Thunderbolt base on all my GoFlex drives. So nine GoFlex drives, three terabytes each, gives me 27 terabytes of Thunderbolt speed storage, which I was thrilled with. But, unbelievably, it gets even better. The connector on the base of the um, plinth is a standard SATA connector. So what I was expecting when I got the first GoFlex drive was some kind of proprietary thing, hideous proprietary thing. And when I looked at it, I thought, actually, this is very well designed. The drive is in a black plastic case and at the bottom of it, where the connector is, it's just open. So it literally just sits on top of a standard connector. So because of that, with it being a standard SATA connector, I can seat any SATA drive on there. So I have bare drives for backup. So back to what hardware I have for backup. It's too much of a piffle to be buying external drives in cases and plugging them in and out and generally playing around. And as I've said, if you try backing up to Thunderbolt, they're in a daisy chain and you've got to then take everything down to take one out of the middle. So what I did was I bought uh, docks and I dock bare drives in them. When they've backed up, I either put them into um, a static-free plastic box, one per drive, or I put them into a large metal case that's meant to carry sort of half a dozen hard drives and then take that out of the way. So I have lots and lots of bare drives. Everybody knows I've got a fair few. I did a count. I have 102 terabytes of storage. And now all of that 102 terabytes can be used as additional Thunderbolt accessible storage because all I've got to do is take the bare drive and put it on the base. Bare drives? Is that like nude drives? Sort of, but they're not hairy. If your drives are hairy, you've got a problem. Um, now, it might not be the prettiest solution, but remember, these are my backups. I don't care. It's blindingly fast, although the speed of my backups doesn't usually bother me, um, except for one scenario, and that's when I need to regenerate a drive from a backup. So here's, here's the scenario. I have a drive, and that drive is backed up onto a twin. So it has a backup drive and that twin also has a twin. So any drive that I have, it has 
two replicas of it. Now, in the event I don't use any RAID solutions or anything like that, in the event that drive one fails, I unplug it, I put drive two in its place, and I take drive three, and I immediately duplicate it to a new blank drive. Now, of course, if that drive happens to be two terabyte or three terabyte, it takes some time, but not now. What I was doing this week was I thought, I'll give this a go. I got a, th a three terabyte drive. I took the Seagate GoFlex off the plinth. I slipped this bare drive onto it, had it propped up, so made sure it, you know, it didn't wobble around because the bare drive is obviously smaller than a GoFlex, but it was fairly sturdy. It didn't disconnect or anything like that. And I had the drive replicated in a matter of hours rather than days, which it usually takes on USB 2. Now, I just mentioned using three terabyte drives and I've been using three terabyte drives on my Macs for ages. Uh, first one I got was about 18 months ago and three terabyte drives at the moment are probably the most cost effective. They work out around £35 a terabyte. But, and it's a big but, many docks don't support anything bigger than two terabytes. Now the GoFlex drives themselves, they were fine. When I got the Thunderbolt base, it needed, it came with a pen drive. And I thought, oh, that's nice of them, a Seagate pen drive. Then I read the instructions and what was on the pen drive was an update for your system. So you need to run this software update. Once I'd done that, the drive was fine. If you don't run this software update, it doesn't recognise the drive as being three terabyte. It'll be somewhere between 750 gig and 830 gig. So there's obviously some translation going on there. But there was a pain in the proverbial there. I've got several three terabyte drives and that's better for me to back up. I want to back up three terabytes to a single three terabyte drive. I don't want to be backing up two three terabyte drives to three two terabyte drives. It's messy. It's horrible. So I wanted to just back up one two three terabyte drive to another three terabyte drive. But there was no supporting dock other than the Thunderbolt dock that would support it. But I thought, just a minute, if my Seagate GoFlex drives can be connected to my Mac via USB 2, so a USB 2 base plate, surely that USB 2 base plate must support three terabyte drives. And I've got a drawer full of USB 2 bases that I've already taken off the GoFlex drives that I've purchased, so I thought it's worth a try. So I slapped one of the uh, USB 2 base plates onto a bare drive and it was good to go, which was really impressive because the alternative is that you would need a USB 3 or eSATA dock, which does support three terabyte drives. So what I'd managed to do with my USB 2 base plate was get three terabyte support at a fraction of the price of one of those other docks because the USB 3 and eSATA docks are quite expensive. The other problem is, um, Although they do support three terabyte drives, they are only going to be supported via USB 3 on the very latest Macs. And for me, even if I had one of those docks, I have nothing to plug it into. You know what this means, Mike, don't you? What? Need a new computer. I thought that's what was coming. <laughs> uh, you weren't disappointed then. No, I've, man I've managed to solve my problem with, with my drawful of USB 2 bases. So they're quite cost effective, the bases. If you wanted a Firewire base, you were looking around £25, but the price of those have gone to about 38 And a good USB 3 dock is going to cost you upwards of £80. So these base plates that are under 20 
They don't look pretty, but they do the job and it's backup only. So Thunderbolt on a budget. I now have terabytes and terabytes of Thunderbolt speed storage. And although when you said, so that's it for £170, you didn't realise, did you? You didn't realise what you were saying. No. You thought I was paying £170 to add one drive to a machine, didn't you? Yes. You should have known me better than that. It's working really well. It's working really, really well. So um, my reasoning for not having a Drobo in terms of the Drobo can regenerate itself um, and me doing my manual regeneration, I'm, I'm down to a couple of hours to regenerate a three terabyte drive. So I'm thrilled with my system and I can highly recommend that. Don't think we've got links for those products in the show notes, but I shall make sure that Mike puts them in. And I shall make sure I put them in. Oh, good. <laughs> Anyway, feedback and comments. Lots and lots and lots of feedback, haven't we? Yes, thank you. Thank you to everyone. Uh, Jenna, when we released um, 67, Jenna said, uh, damn, I'm only two thirds of the way through 66. <laughs> but it's a great problem to have more Mac bytes in the queue. Yay! That's something I never thought we'd hear. And you know what? At only two thirds of the way through 66, Jenna still had Jane to look forward to. Yes, and now she's got 68. I wonder where she's up to. You know what's caused this, don't you? It's strategy oracle. <laughs> His delinquency is is contagious to the MacBiters. Yes. Uh, yes, and as well as Jenna. Jenna's been very, very, very kind to me this week, you know. Should I tell everybody or should I wait until it arrives? i wait till it arrives. Something for the next show. Mm, true. Well, I hope so, but not with my, my history of the post. But I shall publicly say thank you very much to Jenna before it even arrives and leave everybody hanging as to what it might be. Yes, and Dan as well said he was catching up on podcasts and there was not one but two episodes of MacBytes waiting for me and nobody told me. I hope you caught up, Dan, because now there's a third. And Carrie said, woohoo, there's another episode of MacBytes in my podcast feed. Happy Carrie. So everybody was fine, weren't they? Everybody they had lots of MacBytes. And then, you know how you say, there's always one. Yes. Mm, Minster. <laughs> yes, Minster tweeted and said, the one night I have an early night and MacBite 67 slips out. And then I don't check my emails until I'm at work. So no 67 for me until lunch. This is the man who's waiting expectantly for next week, I might add. Then it got worse. Lunchtime comes and goes. Siri asks him, has he enjoyed the show? And he said, it's with deep sadness and heavy heart, I need to confess. Due to time issues at lunch, I haven't even downloaded it yet. Mm, Minster! What should we do to sneak this one past him? Um, release it at three in the morning and ban his email. Ooh, I do like to tease Minster, though. Teasing <laughs> Minster's always good. <laughs> but not only Minster who was shocked, was there? No, McJim, McJim the Real. Shiver me timbers. Two shows on a row. Whatever next. Aye, man. I'm off to peel my spuds for me tea. Well, I hope it kept him entertained while he did. <laughs> and then there was Jonathan, subject of our Mac Love Bites of, of last time. He was amazed, nay, beyond amazed i think yes jonathan was heading off for um, a little break if you'll recall and he promised to take with him the MacBytes logo and liberally display it around new york which was a great idea i thought but he said would there be a show before he went and 66 was there he promised not to listen to it and you know what he did so we had to do another one and he couldn't quite believe it. 67 was released just before he went and he was very good and left it to listen to on the plane. 
I'd find that quite dangerous. You might be locked up. Mm. Mm, spontaneous outbursts of hilarity. Yes, anyway, he said he loves you. Love you guys. We love you too, Jonathan. And we've got a picture of MacBytes doing New York. That's quite a worrying sentiment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. We also heard from Grant Ward, who wanted to hear more about my adventures with Omniplan. I'm loving Omniplan. I'm scaring myself. Project management, wow. I will. I will talk more about Omniplan in a future show. But now, events. Yes. Numbers last week, pages the week before. And keynote coming up this week. We are in the midst of our iWork series at MacBytes Learning. And so far, standing room only. I've been amazed. I revealed the secrets of the MacBytes WWDC bingo card. And then this week, a collection of puzzles in numbers. Yeah, that was so cool. I can't be doing with boring spreadsheets. <laughs> Not casting any aspersions on Mr. Spreadsheet, oh, though. at me. Dig at me. <laughs> You've got to make spreadsheets interesting. Did you know what it was yet? No. Ah. Well, people will have to uh, have to see the video and check it out. But um, we had great, great fun, didn't we? So the next one is Thursday this week. Keynote. I love Keynote. I adore Keynote. So uh, don't miss it. It's Friday. Uh, no, it's not. It's Thursday, the 5th of July. And it's 8pm UK time, which is anywhere from lunchtime to mid-afternoon in the States. And silly, silly o'clock in Australia. But Jane promises to be with us. So don't miss it. You wouldn't want to miss Jane. But that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As ever, we would love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments, queries to e by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or you could even send us an audio file. You could leave a comment on the show notes at macbytes.co.uk or leave a review in the iTunes store. We would love that. Don't forget to keep sending in your Mac Love Bites and you can always give us a like on Facebook and a big thanks to everybody who has. You can sign up for the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk and you can follow MacBytes on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter, twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. Oh, well done, Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesSiri. Until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. We're all off to book a bugle call for Minster. Don't want him to miss 68 being unleashed on an unsuspecting world now, do we?